Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Three, two, one. But I've worked it out. I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer Jim Calhoun. NASCAR icon Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Herbstreit is on the phone. Episode 5. Three. Three. Seven. Of the podcast. It is Monday, October 3rd, 2022, people. I hope everybody's doing one. I hope everybody is having a great day. I hope everybody is ready for a loaded, jam-packed Monday, October 3rd. It is October episode of the Air Tour Sports Podcast. Here's what you need to know about today's show. So we're going to open. We'll actually start with that Bama-Arkansas game. Crazy game. Bama up big. Arkansas rallies. Bryce Young's hurt. Could they lose? Bama ends up pulling away. I will tell you, now that we have clearance on Bryce Young, he is going to be okay. I actually think this was almost a best-case scenario for Alabama. We'll continue the conversation from best to not so good. Uh, Oklahoma takes a really bad loss. What does it mean for the Sooners as they are now, what, 3-2, and 0-2 oh in the Big 12? And you talk about bad. A&M loses again. I believe there's only one thing that can fix A&M at this point. It is not to fire Jimbo Fisher. That is not the answer. It's not going to happen. But there is one thing that can happen to get this thing turned around. Finally, we'll wrap with some odds and ends across college football. Georgia survives. Finally showing some chinks in the armor. Maybe, possibly, I don't know. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about Kentucky going to Ole Miss. Kentucky probably should have won that game. What went wrong? Can it be fixed in time for this weekend? And then, of course, we'll wrap with some other odds and ends. How about them Kansas Jayhawks? Never thought I'd be dropping the during football season, yet here we are. How about Kansas? A little bit also to finally wrap on Colorado. Colorado will have a new head coach. I do live in Pac-12 country, know some people there, have some thoughts on a potential opening at Colorado. Before we get started, I want to do what I always do on the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. That is thank our presenting sponsor, Betfred Sportsbook and the Betfred Sportsbook app. Listen, I've told you their story, but it's awesome. We have been working with them for a month, and I love working with them. Started in 1967 in the UK, 1,600 shops, one of the most respected and reputable sports books in in Europe overseas. They have come to the U.S., and they have made a huge splash, presenting sponsor of not only Aaron Torres Media, but the Denver Broncos, the Colorado Rockies, the Cincinnati Bengals. And what I love about Betfred, 
Nobody does more for their partners, for their customers than Betfred Sportsbook. Listen, if you follow them on social media at Betfred Sports, make sure you're following. They were giving away tickets to the Bengals game Thursday night. Uh, Sweet was there. Winners were take, well taken care of. Uh, that was it, the Cincinnati Bengals game. And then you look across the rest of the, of the landscape, right? I've told you, first pitch at the Rockies games, tailgate at Denver Broncos games, bar crawl in Arizona for an Arizona Cardinals game. Uh, I'm just telling you, nobody takes care of their betters quite like Betfred. Uh, and they have a special offer for you. Obviously, we got a big Monday night game coming up this evening. And as I tell you, every single episode, Bet50 Get 250 in free bets. So you can bet either side on this Monday night game. Doesn't matter who you like. Bet 50, get 250, courtesy of Betfred. We will have our AT boost on Saturday. So thank you to Betfred. Love working with them. And I'm just telling you, we got some big things planned for the rest of football season, for basketball season, and beyond. Really quickly, I also want to thank Bracket Fanatics, which is running our NFL Pick'em Challenge. Uh, for those of you who are entered, Congratulations. We have three winners. Obviously, with Monday night this evening, we will get closure on week four of the NFL, and we will announce our week four winner later this week. For those who, who don't know the deal, it's a great deal. Can still sign up, okay? $100 weekly winners. You just All you got to do, Bracket Fanatics, join Bracket, Torres, pick games, winner, loser. That's all you got to do. Go ahead, do that. We pick $100 weekly winners. We've already had three. We will have four by the end of the Rams 49ers game tonight. Uh, and over the season, we are also tallying total points, total wins. And we will have a $1,000 season-long cash prize winner after week 18 of the NFL season. So if you have not signed up, it's not too late. The link is in the show description. Also, go to BracketFanatics.com. Join Bracket Torres, T-O-R-R-E-S. And if you've already entered, make sure to keep filling out the bracket, keep filling out your picks every single week. $100 weekly winners, $1,000 season-long cash prize. With that said, I do. I want to get to, what do I want to get to? You know what I want to get to. I want to get to the topic of the day. And the topic of the day, I, I do think it's the Arkansas-Alabama game. And I think if you had asked me at three different times during that game, we would have had three different lead topics to lead this show. So we have the early part of the game, Alabama, Bryce Young's in. They look like the Alabama team we've been waiting two years for. Up 21-0, steamrolling Arkansas, great atmosphere in Fayetteville. Then we know what happens. Bryce Young goes down. We all get concerned. Uh, Arkansas rallies at one point, cuts the lead to from 28 to nothing to 28 to 23. Finally, Alabama gets its composure, and Alabama ends up winning 49-26. to And I will tell you, that was not an insignificant score, because remember, the spread in the Betfred Sportsbook was 17 points. And so Alabama wins, Alabama covers, Alabama improves to 5-0. In terms of the game itself, listen, I'll just tell you, this was, you know, it, it was just everything that's right about college football. Shout out to Grayson, who runs our Torres on the Hogs Twitter account. He was on campus. He's a student there. And he was putting out live video, you know, video, you know, time lapses and everything of what the campus was like all week long. And it was bananas. Game starts, CBS, big game. And like I said, Alabama looked like that team that we were all expecting in the preseason. 
Bryce Young's rolling. The offense is humming. They're making big plays. The defense is making plays in the backfield. And then, as I just said a minute ago, Bryce Young goes down. And I think we were all just like, what is going to possibly happen in this game? And Arkansas's credit. Listen, one thing about Arkansas, we'll, we'll kind of wrap this segment with a little bit of Arkansas talk. I give them so much credit because that's a team that up, down, this, that. They never quit. They always fight under Sam Pittman. And all of a sudden, Bryce Young goes down. Alabama's up 21-0. They do score shortly after he leaves. But all of a sudden, right at the end of the second half, second quarter, excuse me, you start to feel the tides turn a little bit, right? Arkansas scores right before halftime, 28-7. Okay, not too much to think about. Then they score right after halftime at 24-14. And then right after that, they do an onside kick. They recover the onside kick. It's 28 eventually to 17, 28 to 23 before Alabama makes some big plays and pulls away. So first of all, I want to give credit to Arkansas. Great atmosphere, great fan turnout, um, great whatever. But then also Alabama for overcoming adversity and finding a way to win that game on the road without your Heisman Trophy quarterback. And so when I look at this game from the 30,000-foot view, let's break it down. Because I'm just going to call a spade a spade. I'm going to be honest. I'm going to be real. And I'm going to say this. I actually think now that we know Bryce Young's status, I think this game was almost a best-case scenario for Alabama. And let me explain why. First of all, Bryce Young is okay, right? Like, like, like if you win 72 to nothing, but Bryce Young is hurt, you, that's problematic. Instead, we find out after the game that Bryce Young is going to be okay. I think for people who missed it, I might have just mentioned it. I might not have. Bryce Young fell on his shoulder midway through the second quarter, holding his shoulder, goes back to throw a few plays later, and you can just tell he's not himself, runs into the tent, runs into the locker room before halftime, and everybody starts freaking out like, oh, my goodness, what just happened to Bryce Young? Is he done for the year? What does it all mean? Blah, 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 blah. Well, fast forward, and here's exactly what we know. It was an AC joint sprain. I'm not a doctor. Believe it or not, don't claim to be. But according to Nick Saban, this has happened before, and he is day-to-day. And so, first of all, again, if you win that game, but Bryce Young does not look – you know, Bryce Young is not healthy coming out of it, you're done. You're screwed. It's over. Forget it. Instead, you now know that he's healthy. Now, we'll see if he plays this weekend. Good weekend. Good thing is Alabama basically has a bye. They play Texas A&M. Sorry, Texas A&M fans. I'm just kidding, but not really. But they do play A&M this week. But then I do think, assuming you get by that, and I think with the momentum and energy and anger from not only this summer, like, and we'll talk about this throughout the week, I think everybody gets so caught up on the A&M-Alabama stuff from the summer Never forget AM also beat Alabama last year. So I do think Alabama's fired up. I do think they win convincingly. And even if Bryce Young is not available or not at 100%, the good news is you'd assume, and Nick Saban's saying that he could be potentially available this weekend, then he'll definitely be, weekend, be available for the following weekend against Tennessee. And then, of course, the games that start to matter down the stretch. You have to go to Tennessee on October 15th. Obviously, we all know the third Saturday in October. Then you play at LSU. Then you play uh, Auburn late in the season. Ideally, in theory, you're playing for an SEC championship. At some point, you got to play at Ole Miss. So there are a lot of big games left on the schedule, and you start to look at the best teams in this conference. Realistically, outside of Alabama and Georgia, it's probably Tennessee and Ole Miss. You got to play both of them on the road, potential SEC championship game. You got to go to LSU. So the good news for Alabama is that Bryce Young should be available for those games. Beyond that, 
why I think this is the best case scenario. And I think this is important. These last two points to me are very important as to why, if you're an Alabama fan, you have to feel good about Saturday. First off, you found some playmakers. You found some playmakers. Remember the old ESPN show, Playmakers? Alabama didn't have any of those guys over the first couple of weeks of the season. And it's funny, right? Because I did – this was one where, listen, if, if you guys and girls listen to this show, and a lot of you do, you know that I get a lot of stuff right and I get a lot of stuff wrong. But one thing that I don't know that I ever really bought was that Alabama didn't have playmakers, right? You watch the Alabama-Texas game, and Joel Clad, who I love, says, you know, they just don't have those wide receivers that can separate anymore. And I just sat there and said, eh, I don't know if I really believe that. I don't think Alabama forgot to, how to recruit. I don't think they forgot to evaluate how to evaluate talent. I think they have playmakers. I think it's just about getting those guys the ball in the right spot, in space, to make plays. We'll go to Saturday. What do we see? Jameer Gibbs, the transfer from Georgia Tech. Oh, my goodness. Listen, I, I saw this kid at Georgia Tech. I knew he was good. But when people were touting him as a Heisman Trophy candidate, I said, okay, let's pump the brakes here. Uh, yeah, Saturday you saw why he is so special. Finished the game, 206 yards rushing, 11 yards per carry. Uh, I saw this stat blew me away from the Torres on Bama account. Apparently at one point he reached a top speed of 22.6 miles per hour in one of his big open field rushes. So you saw who Jameer Gibbs is and who he can be. Beyond that, they finally got some production out of the wide receivers. And again, I'm not one to sit here and say, oh, they don't have the playmakers that they used to. Now, I will say, I mean, they had four first-round wide receivers over two years. I'm not saying they have that. But again, you knew they had guys in the program. And I actually went to look it up because I said, there's no way the wide receivers can be bad. I just think they, they, do, they just haven't been in the right spot yet or they haven't stepped up yet. Went back and looked it up. They had four, five, or four-star players that committed at wide receiver in last year's class and three, four, or five-star players at wide receiver in the 2021 class. And so why I bring it up is because of the fact they've always had the dudes in the program. It was just about, again, getting them comfortable, getting them in rhythm, getting them in space, getting them confident, and that's exactly what we saw on Saturday. Outside of Jameer Gibbs, you had a kid named Kobe Prentice, true freshman, 47-yard touchdown catch. You had a kid, JoJo Earl, second-year player, 22-yard touchdown catch. You had a kid, Isaiah Bond, two big catches for close to 80 yards in total offense. And so that, to me, this is why I believe it was a best-case scenario. Bryce Young is going to be okay. You found playmakers. And finally, you know what else? You know why else you need to be excited if you're an Alabama fan? It is because of what we talked about on last week's shows. What was the term that I kept using to describe Alabama? What was the term? Nick Saban said he was looking for hateful competitors. And Alabama players said they had it. We needed to see it. Well, I think we saw it on Saturday. Now, it wasn't perfect. And I would say even the performance as a whole from Alabama wasn't perfect. They still have too many penalties. But think about who Alabama was on Saturday and what we've wanted them to be. We've wanted them to come out and have that old school Alabama edge and toughness to them. We've wanted them to come out and just say, I'm not just playing, as Nick Saban said, I'm not just playing the 11 guys lined up across from me. I am playing all 80, 90, 100,000 people in this stadium, and I am here to send them home in the third quarter. 
And had Bryce Young not gotten hurt, that's probably what would have happened. So they finally came out in a big road game with that killer instinct that they have been lacking for the last two years. Lacked it against Texas this year. Lacked it against Auburn last year. Lacked it certainly against Texas A&M last year, Florida last year. So you have that. But here's the more important part. After you were up big, you blew the lead, and you still stayed composed, had confidence, and were able to elevate yourself when things got tough when it was 28 to 23. Now, did you have a couple big plays? Did it? Yes. But when you needed to make big plays, when your back was against the wall, when you needed to prove that we're Alabama and you got to rip this crown off our heads, they went out and proved we're still Alabama. And so if you're an Alabama fan today, listen, I don't want to speak for the fan base. I'm not an Alabama fan. I could be dead wrong. And Bama fans, tell me if I'm dead wrong. DM me on Twitter. DM me on Instagram. Hit me up on YouTube. Tell me if I'm wrong. But I look at that game, I say, that's almost a best-case scenario for Alabama. Bryce Young's healthy. You found playmakers, but you had that killer instinct. Now, can they keep it up? We'll find out. I don't think this week's the issue against AM. Not just because AM's bad, and we're about to talk about that in a minute, but because of the fact that, you know, because of the fact that um, the tough games are still ahead. You still got to prove it at Tennessee. You still got to prove it at Ole Miss. You still got to prove it against Georgia in an SEC championship game. Now, I know in theory you could lose one of those games and it's not the end of the world, but we needed to see Alabama go into a tough environment that isn't in Tuscaloosa and play with that killer instinct. I thought they did on Saturday. Credit to the Tide. I thought this was really, especially when Bryce Young was in, it was their best performance I've seen in a while. And I do give them credit for late in that game when it got close being able to come back from the Arkansas perspective, you know, listen, I, I don't really know that there's a ton to take away. Um, it's obviously disappointing because as I said, you're down 28, nothing, you rally to make it 28 to three and you just can't get over that hump and you just can't make the plays when you need it. I think what it speaks to, to me is a few things. One, we want to throw rose petals at Sam Pittman's feet and we should Sam Pittman's been incredible, but this is very much still a rebuild just because you were ahead of schedule nine and four last year it does you know it, what i would say is the gap between those two three teams at the top alabama georgia maybe ohio state and everybody else it is still big and you still got to trust the process right it's going to get there sam Pittman is the right guy for this job but it's just kind of one of those deals where you just sit there and say man alabama's just got some really really good football players um, and when we needed to make plays, their players just made plays and we could not. Uh, I don't think this is an indictment on Sam Pittman. I don't think it's an indictment on the offense. I don't think it's an indictment on the defense, uh, which once again did struggle in the past game. I just think Alabama's got a, real, a lot of really good players. The one thing that does stand out to me, though, and I hate to say it, Arkansas fans, and I know a lot of you listen, this is why you got to close out Texas A&M, because – the margin, you know, you think about the difference. If you beat Texas A&M, if you don't fumble on the one-yard line, if you don't, um, you know, miss that field goal, and I'm not blaming Cam Little alone, the, 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 the kicker that missed that field goal. What I am saying, though, is if you go ahead and win that game, now all of a sudden you're 4-1, you lost to Bama, but everything is still ahead of you. You still got a lot of tough games left on the schedule, but a couple tough games are behind you. And you're sitting at four and one, and the only losses to the now number one team in the country. Now, all of a sudden, though, you're three and two. You got a good Mississippi State team this weekend in a game on the road. 
Then you got to go to a good BYU team. And then you get a bye, and you still got LSU and Ole Miss after that, even a Missouri team that played pretty tough on Saturday against Georgia. So I don't think this is a reason to sound the panic bells, anything like that. I do think there were moments where whatever. But I, I just think it, it shows the margin. When you have AM on the ropes, you got to put them away. Because four and one today, I do think would feel a lot different than three and two. Uh, but I still believe in this team. I still believe in this coach, Sam Pittman. Uh, and I still believe it's going to be a really, really good football team for the remainder of the year. All right, so what I want to do, I do want to take a quick break. Good opening segment. I do want to take a quick break. Do want to come back. Do want, do want to talk about the opposite of Alabama being awesome on Saturday? Oklahoma, not good. Texas A&M, definitely not good. We're going to discuss those two teams next. We'll take a quick break. We will be, what will we be? We'll be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. All right, everybody. I am back. Good to be back. Good to be back. So uh, so here's the deal with this segment of the Air Tour Sports Podcast. I had finished recording the Monday episode of the show. The hay was in the barn. Um, I don't know what other analogies to use. But the show was done. I was feeling good. I was going to pour myself a cold one, do some editing, and relax. And then on Sunday at about 7 o'clock Eastern, we got some late breaking news. So I want to get to it right now. Uh, and then we'll get back to your regularly scheduling program where we're going to talk Oklahoma, we're going to talk Texas A&M, and the rest of the weekend in college football. But on Sunday night, as I said, about 7 p.m. Eastern time, we got shocking news out of the world of college football as Paul Christ, the head coach of Wisconsin, who has won 72% of his games. Wisconsin, one of the most stable, you know, non-reactionary athletic departments in all of college football announced that they were firing their coach. And so I want to get into it. I want to break it down because it is just a stunning, stunning, stunning piece of news. What I would say about it, you know, I do think, I, I think there's a lot at play here, okay? And so what I would say is, I think if you just look on the surface, you'd sit there and say, not only is it insane because it's Wisconsin, but it's insane because this guy's been really good. 72% win percentage as the head coach at Wisconsin. He has been with Wisconsin for, uh, I'm trying to do some quick math here off the top of my head. This is his eighth season. As I said, 72% win percentage, four 10 win seasons, one 11 win season, one 13 win season in 2017. 
What also happened, and I think there's a few variables as to why he is no longer the head coach. One, it has not been good over the last couple of years. And it's so interesting, right? If you go back to 2019, that was the year Joe Burrow was tearing it up at LSU. Trevor Lawrence was tearing it up at Clemson. Ohio State, Justin Fields was tearing it up there. Ohio State went into the Big Ten Championship game, and it was a foregone conclusion. Those three are going to be in the playoff. Clemson, LSU, and Ohio State. Just one problem. About midway through the, I think, third quarter, Wisconsin had a lead on Ohio State, and there was a real thought that they could lose that game. But since that 2019 Big Ten Championship game, it's basically all been downhill, okay? So they lose that game. They end up going to the Rose Bowl, losing to Oregon, Justin Herbert, Mario Cristobal. No shame in that. Then there's a COVID year. You go four and three, but it's a weird year. You win the opener. Then you get COVID. The next two weeks are canceled, blah, 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 blah. Weird season, four and three, whatever. Last year, I think, is when you first started to see there's some real cracks in the foundation here. They go nine and four overall. At first glance, it's not terrible, but dig a little deeper and it is, and I'll tell you why. One, you started the season one and three. Lost to Penn State at home early, lost to Notre Dame on a neutral field, lost to Michigan at home early. Now, I'm not blaming everybody for everything and all those losses and all that stuff, but they were one in three to start the season, which that basically means, ironically, as I record here on Sunday night, it was a year ago, by the first weekend of October, your season was over. October 2nd, you lose to Michigan, you're one in three. It doesn't matter what you do the rest of the way. To their credit, they rallied but they lost to Minnesota late in the year in a rivalry game. P.J. Fleck, I don't want to say has had Paul Chris number, but he's taken a few from Wisconsin after they never lost to Minnesota. And so you have the 4-3 and three season. It's followed by a 9-4 and four season where you started 1-3 and three and your season was basically over before it even really began. But then finally, you have this season. You have this season where you come back, you're Wisconsin, you're ranked, everything's going to be fine, and what has happened so far? You're two and three, and the losses are just, by Wisconsin standards, unacceptable even for Wisconsin, right? It's one thing if you just lose to Ohio State because they have better players. If you lose to Michigan because they have better players, even if you lose to Penn State because they have better players. Well, here's the problem. Here's who you've lost to so far. Washington State. Then you get steamrolled by Ohio State, where it's not even competitive. 28 nothing before Wisconsin can even blink. And then on Saturday, at home, you lose to Illinois, and their second-year head coach, you know who their second-year head coach is? Oh, it's former Wisconsin head coach Brett Bielema. And so basically, first of all, the irony there, remember, this was the guy. He leaves. His wife tweets, hashtag karma. Then it falls apart at Arkansas. He rebuilds his career. He goes to the NFL. He works under Bill Belichick. Goes to Illinois with the Wisconsin blueprint. And out Wisconsin's Wisconsin in Camp Randall, for the victory in an absolute stunner. And so when I look at this situation, I'm not totally surprised that Paul Christ was fired. And I'll take it a step further. I think the reason that this makes sense, we're going to go a little inside college football, and I know you guys and girls love this, and I think this will be interesting for you. I think that they, they, they have the guy that they want as the next head coach already on staff. And so let me explain. So their defensive coordinator is a guy named Jim Leonard. Jim Leonard played at Wisconsin. He played a million years in the NFL. He's kind of a great, you know, Wisconsin story, right? He's from Wisconsin, um, you know, played it. He was a walk-on at Wisconsin, goes from walk-on to NFL player, a guy that played in the NFL for a very long time, about a decade, you know, about 10 years total. 
And so he comes back. The Wisconsin defense is awesome. And I think, and, and he's had other opportunities, to be clear. He was actually offered the Green Bay Packers defensive coordinator job this offseason and turned it down. And so I bring it up because what I think happened at Wisconsin is what I think has happened throughout college football quite a bit over the last two or three decades since I've been following it, is that sometimes you know that you have the next guy and either the head coach has to be smart enough to get out of the way or you risk potentially losing him. I'll give you a few examples. Oregon, early to mid-2000s, they're struggling offensively. What do they do? They go and hire a young, bright, offensive mind from New Hampshire named Chip Kelly. He comes in, revamps their offense, and Mike Bellotti, their head coach at the time, realized this is the guy that should be running the program, and if we don't name him the head coach, we're going to lose him to somewhere else. And so Mike Bellotti stepped aside. I'll be honest, I'm doing quick reaction. I don't know how excited he was to step aside, but Oregon basically realized we got the next Bill Walsh at the time. I know Chip Kelly's whatever now, but at the time he's like, we got this great young coach. We're going to lose him if we don't name him the head coach. Fast forward a few years ago. Lincoln Riley in Oklahoma. Now, I think Bill, Bob Stoops was ready to step aside. I think he was ready to try something else. But Oklahoma's like, we're going to lose this guy. And the more the time goes on, I'll tell you, the more that there's kind of mixed reports over whether Bob Stoops really wanted to step aside. But at the end of the day, he does. At the end of the day, he, he doesn't want to coach college football anymore. But they knew they had the next guy on their staff. And they were like, we have to give this guy the job right now or somebody is going to take him. And so I bring it up because I do think it is a very similar situation at Wisconsin. This guy has interviewed for other jobs or at the very least been a candidate for other jobs. He could have been the Green Bay Packers defensive coordinator. And at some point, you're going to lose him as the head coach. You're going to lose him, excuse me, to another opportunity, whether it's a head coach in college, whether it's a coordinator job in the NFL, whether it's a head coaching job in the NFL. But you're going to lose him. So rather than lose him, give him these five, six games, let him see if he's really the guy. If he is, he becomes your next head coach. Because the worst thing that you can do, the worst thing that you can do is lose this guy to another job and have him be the next great coaching star, right? Have him be the next guy. And then all of a sudden you're like, we had the next great coaching star on our staff and we let him go somewhere else and we, and we let him walk. And so to me, that's what I think the plan is. Put Jim Leonard in charge, see how the players respond, see how he handles the job. And then more importantly, if he's the guy, you give him a big fat contract so he doesn't go anywhere. And if he's not the guy, you know, and you do a national search. Now, I will say it'll be interesting. A couple things stand out with a potential search. There are a lot of guys with ties to Wisconsin, believe it or not. Uh, Lance Leipold, the hottest coach in college football right now uh, at Kansas, won multiple national championships in D3 in the state of Wisconsin at Wisconsin Whitewater. Dave Aranda, the coach at Baylor. I don't think he's leaving, but he was a longtime defensive coordinator at Wisconsin. And I bring it up to say there's a lot of interesting names that, that could be the next coach, but I think they want to give Jim Leonard the job. Finally, what I would say, I'll tell you, and we talked about it a little bit when I guess it was Scott Frost was fired maybe. In the world that we live in now, I just believe that there is no such thing as giving anybody time especially in the Big Ten and especially in the SEC. The money is too good. So Paul Chris, the head coach, the reports are he's going to get upwards of a $16 million buyout to be fired today. And I bring it up because that's a lot of money. But in the world of college football in 2022, 
You can't afford not to pay him that if you don't think he's the right guy and if you think you have the right guy on staff. And so maybe it's different if this is an ACC school, a Mountain West school, a Big 12 school. But in the Big 10, you are going to have that money. Remember, we saw Scott Frost. They could have waited until probably today to fire Scott Frost, October 1st, October 2nd, and paid him $7.5 million. They decided it was worth getting him out of the building three weeks early to pay him an extra $7.5 million. So stunning news. Paul Christout, I believe Jim Leonard is going to get the chance to really earn this job. I think they want him to be successful so he can be the next head coach. But you talk about a crazy, crazy, crazy story. I cannot believe that we are talking about this right now. I just want to do take a quick break, get back to our regularly scheduled programming where uh, Wisconsin is out, off of the picture. But Jimbo Fisher, we got to talk about that guy, Brent Venables at Oklahoma. Unbelievable Sunday in college football. Take a quick break. I will be right back. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right, everybody. I'm back. Good to be back. Good to be back. I do want to... Continue the college football conversation, but kind of go in a different direction. And so obviously on last segment, we talked about, frankly, one of the better performances of the weekend, Alabama going to Arkansas, backup quarterback for the final, probably 60% of that game or so. They get the convincing win. Good for Alabama. We do have to talk about the other side of the coin in college football, which is two teams that I believe really woke up on Sunday and now into Monday, just shaking their head and saying, how did it all go so wrong? We're obviously going to talk about the Texas A&M Aggies momentarily, but I do want to start with the Oklahoma Sooners. And it's interesting with Oklahoma, right? Because in the preseason, I pumped up Oklahoma. I like Oklahoma. I think they win the Big 12. I think the defense is better. I think the offense isn't as bad as you think. I really did like Oklahoma. I thought they win the Big 12, make the playoff, win a playoff game, and play for a national championship. Well, last Saturday... They lost at home to Kansas State. Um, And at the time, like, I had a few of you, oh, Torres, you're just not going to talk about Oklahoma. And the way that I kind of looked at it was like, look, to me it was kind of a one-off deal, right, is that, um, you know, it's a conference game, an opponent that has had Oklahoma's number through the years, and everybody outside of maybe Bama or Georgia, Ohio State maybe, everybody's going to take a loss at some point, right? And so I didn't know that I needed to overreact to Oklahoma. Now, it obviously put them behind the eight ball. But everything that I said they could do in the preseason was still on the table. Win the Big 12, go to the playoff. Then Saturday happened, and boy, oh boy, oh boy, do I have to reconsider how I feel about Oklahoma? And I think every Oklahoma fan listening has to reevaluate how they feel about Oklahoma because the Sooners, they went to Fort Worth, 
They played TCU, and it was, as the kids say, U-G-L-Y. You ain't got no alibi. That was ugly. Final score in this one, 55-24. to 24. And I think that's only the, like the, the, the baseline of where we are at with Oklahoma. 55 to 24 was the final score. They gave up 668 yards of total offense. If you just watched this game, if you were flipping channels early in the day Saturday, every time you turned the game back on, it felt like TCU was ripping one off for about 60 or 70 yards. I believe four of their touchdown runs were, or four of their touchdown plays were of 30 yards or more. Um, and then, oh, by the way, you know, you know how, you know when it gets bad? When ABC decides that we're not even going to stick through the end of this game, we're going to put this on ESPN News and get immediately to the 330 window. So this got bumped to ESPN News with like eight minutes left in the game. It shows you how bad it was, and it shows you how concerning things are with Oklahoma. And so what I want to do is I do want to talk about this game in the big picture because I think everybody kind of knew that, yes, it's going to be a transition. Yes, there are changes at Oklahoma. No, it's not going to be perfect. But I don't think anybody thought it was going to go off the rails. I don't think anybody thought it was going to go off the rails quite this quick. Now, before we get into it, I, I do just very quickly for the, for the I guess, rational Oklahoma fan that's listening, look, what I'm not going to do over the next five or six minutes is just destroy Brent Venables, say he's a fraud, say he's not the right guy, whatever. It's first year, we've seen for the most part outside of, ironically, Lincoln Riley, hate to say that name, Oklahoma fans, but it's the truth. But all these other first-year coaches are struggling, right? Brian Kelly lost his opener to Florida State. Uh, Mario Cristobal is under heat. They lost to, uh, who was it the other day? Middle Tennessee. Um, I said LSU. You know, Marcus Freeman lost his first two games of the regular season, 0-3 dating back to last year when he was the interim coach for the bowl game. So it's not as though, you know, Brent Venables is the only one struggling. And it's not as though this was expected to flip overnight. This defense has not been great really since, uh, you know, really the last four, five, six years. Now, it had gotten better late in the Lincoln-Riley era, but it wasn't going to happen overnight. And even if you go back to Brent Venable's time at Clemson, for people who don't know, he was the Clemson defensive coordinator before he got to Oklahoma. It really took him about a year or two getting to Clemson before they started playing kind of at that elite national championship level at Clemson. And so I'm not going to flip out. I'm not going to say Venables isn't the guy. I'm not going to do the fire Brent Venables. That's not what this is about. And I would say he is recruiting at a really high level. And I would say a lot of those players that are some of the best players in that 2023 recruiting class are on the defensive side of the football. I looked it up today. They have the number six class in the country, they being Oklahoma, seven top 100 players, four of them are on the defensive side of the ball. And so I'm not going to freak out. I'm not going to say it's over, none of that. But what I would say as we start to get to some of the problematic stuff, well, there's a couple of reasons why I would be concerned if I was an Oklahoma fan, one defense wasn't really supposed to be the problem under Brent Venables. Now I understand it's year one, it's month, whatever it's going to take time, but 668 yards. Come on now. I mean, this was a, this was a guy that at the very least, listen, the offense was going to be a work in progress. The offense, by the way, hasn't been good either. Don't let the stats fool you. They put up chunk yards and chunk points against bad teams early. Um, but you look at, you know, the offense hasn't really been totally a problem, but they haven't been great, but whatever. But it was supposed to be the defense that got fixed, right? Well, instead, as I said, 41 points against Kansas State last week, 500-plus yards of total offense, 668 yards against TCU. And so that is where the concern starts. The defense was supposed to be getting incrementally better, 
not much, much, much worse than they were even a year ago. And so you look at everything, and a couple of things stand out to me. One, if you watched on Saturday, like, like you can't – one thing about Oklahoma, and I'm so tired of blame this coach, blame that – you can't say that they don't have the talent on that side of the ball. Oklahoma is one of the most talented defenses in college – one of the most talented rosters in college football just based on recruiting rankings. I know they lost some guys to the portal after Lincoln Riley left all that stuff. But don't tell me they have no talent. And if you watched on Saturday, I think the concern was um, guys didn't seem to know where they're supposed to be. Guys on TCU are running wide open. There's a, they're, they're wide open in space. I mean, there's there's guys catching passes with nobody within 20 yards of them. So don't blame the players. And I'll give Brent Venables credit. I actually went back and listened to his postgame press conference. He did not blame the players at all. He sat there and said, and this is almost a quote verbatim, um, they have given us everything we have asked of them, and it's our job to put them in a better position to succeed. So he's taking the blame, but something's got to change. It's not the players. It's not the athleticism. If the scheme is too complicated, you got to dumb it down. I don't have all the answers, as we're going to talk about with Jimbo Fisher in a second. I don't claim to be a scheme expert, but you got to do something. The other reason I'd be concerned with Oklahoma, that Big 12 is pretty good now. And, and you know, you look at, at, at Oklahoma's schedule. All of a sudden, this Big 12 is fascinating, and these were supposed to be the easy games on the schedule, right? They open with uh, with Kansas State at home, TCU first-year head coach Sonny Dykes on the road, Texas next week, Kansas the following week. That was supposed to be the easy part of the schedule. Here's the problem. You're now 0-2 in league play. Next week, Texas is probably going to bring back Quinn Ewers. I would be very worried if that was my team because Quinn Ewers is a baller. We saw it against Alabama. And then don't forget – Kansas the week after is no pushover. Kansas is 5-0. Kansas is tied atop the Big 12 with TCU. So that's not a gimme. You still have Oklahoma later, Oklahoma State later in the year. You still have Baylor later in the year. Those aren't gimmies. You play at West Virginia. It could be cold and snowing by the time you play that game. And so you look at the schedule. Where are the guaranteed wins? Not saying Oklahoma goes 6-6, six and six, but what I am saying is it's hard to find just the week on the schedule where you can get right because the Big 12 has really elevated its game. Finally, and this is the other part that I'd be a little bit concerned about if I was an Oklahoma fan. Remember now, we have the, 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 the front view mirror of what's ahead this season, building a program, changing an identity under Brent Venables. But we also have what's in the future in the very front view mirror. You're going to the SEC soon. And so I think most Oklahoma fans – I think they're going to be patient with Brent Venables. He's one of them. Bob Stoops guy. I get all that. He's coached there previously. But this thing, you better start to see incremental gains and incremental improvement. Because, yes, it's okay if you don't win a national championship this year. But you have to be building something that is ready to step into the SEC as early as potentially in theory next year. I still think it's going to be 2025. But in the next three years, that's ready to compete. I think everybody will take a few losses this year if it means that there's growing pains that are going to make you better for the SEC. But you still got to show something that makes us feel confident. Because as good as I just said Kansas is this year and Kansas State is and West Virginia could be tough on the road, West Virginia ain't nothing like going to Georgia. West Virginia ain't nothing like going to Florida. West Virginia ain't nothing like going to LSU, playing Georgia at home, playing Bama at home. These are the games that you're going to play. Oh, by the way, Lane Kiffin has things rolling at Ole Miss. Josh Heupel has things rolling at Tennessee. Mark Stoops has things rolling at Kentucky. I'm not saying all these guys and all these coaches are going to be there, 
and all these programs aren't going to be at the highest level when Brent Venables and Oklahoma eventually get to the SEC. But you know there's going to be two or three super elite programs that can win it all. And then two or three really good top 10 to 12 programs like Ole Miss, like Kentucky, like Tennessee are this season. And so if I'm Brent Venables, if I'm Oklahoma, I would be a little bit worried right now. Not because Rome is crumbling and it'll never get solved and will never be a relevant program again. I saw some of that on Saturday on social media is that Oklahoma's the next Nebraska. I don't know that I buy that. But what I do buy, you got to show some signs of improvement because you got a tough conference this year and you are headed to the toughest conference in college football in anywhere, no more than three years from now. I'm not saying I'm, I'm, I'm bailing on Brent Venables, but I am starting to get concerned. All right, let's switch gears to the other, you know, really just interesting loss. I think you would call it an interesting loss on Saturday. I don't think you'd call it a big loss because the team that I want to talk about right now, Texas A&M, they are just not very good. They go to Starkville, Mississippi, and they get absolutely pounded by Mississippi State. In that game, the final score was 42-24. to The scary part was Mississippi State didn't even score in the fourth quarter. It means it gave up 42 points over the final three quarters. And what's especially concerning, that defense, which has actually held the fork down over the last couple of weeks, it finally gave way in large part because the offense couldn't stay on the field and sustain drives. And so with the loss, Texas A&M is now three and two. They easily, by the way, could have lost the last two weeks. They were outgained by Miami. Miami had some weird red zone decisions under Mario Cristobal and Josh Gaddis. Um, last week, we talked about the Arkansas game in which you had the, the, the doink on top of the, the, the upright. Uh, Arkansas obviously was driving in to go up 21-7 to seven in that game, K.J. Jefferson's fumble. And so I only bring it up because Texas A&M is 3-2. and two. They easily could be 1-4. and four. Remember after the App State game, we said, this team can be 1-4 and four if they don't watch out. They're not 1-4, and four, but they are 3-3, three and three, and of course, or 3-2, and two, and you know who is next on the schedule, right? They go to Alabama. They are almost certainly going to lose. They are a 20-point favorite or so in the Betfred Sportsbook, and uh, we could have chaos, code red situation in College Station because the bottom line is they ain't beating Alabama next week, certainly not the way that they're playing, and they very well could fall to 3-3, three and three, and this program is very much on the brink. And so what I want to do now is not really talk about what happened on Saturday because, listen, Mississippi State's a good team. Credit to them, 4-1, and one, they're ranked. I thought their over-under of six and a half wins was way too low coming into the year. But this is about Texas A&M. We say it all the time, the more interesting story is in the losing locker room, and there is no doubt that the more interesting story is at Texas A&M, and the conversation now has to turn forward of how do you fix this program? $9 million head coach four straight top 10 recruiting classes, and even Texas A&M fans, and I know we got a lot that listen on to this show, follow on YouTube, all that good stuff. Even Texas A&M fans, I don't think there's a doubt that they're sitting there saying nobody is doing more, less, excuse me, nobody is doing less with more talent than Jimbo Fisher. And so what I want to do now, I think there's only, at this point, I believe that there is only one way to fix this program and one way to get it back on track, and it has to happen immediately. And what I want to do is I want to be realistic. I want to be fair because one thing we do on this show is we don't make up crazy hypothetical. Well, I mean, sometimes I make up a crazy hypothetical, but I give you the caveat of a crazy hypothetical. But I bring it up because the bottom line is, look, Jimbo Fisher's not getting fired. He's owed 80 plus million dollars still on his contract. That is one big check even for Texas A&M's boosters. Recruiting is clearly not the issue. 
not just the number one recruiting class in the country last year, but four straight classes before it. Um, I don't think anything else is an issue either in terms of resources. They have those facilities. They have those assistant coaching pool. They have those. And so the question becomes, what do you do and how do you fix this before it completely goes off the rails? And so to me, I think it's actually pretty simple. There's one big problem with Texas A&M. It is their offense. And this falls on not the offense, not the quarterback, not the skill position players, not the O-line. It falls on the play caller, Jimbo Fisher. And I believe that it is time for a guy who has made his entire career of running super you know, successful offenses dating back to Florida State, dating back to LSU when he was an assistant under Nick Saban. I think it's officially time for Nick or for Jimbo Fisher to give up play calling duties. And listen, one thing I, I do it, when I say give up play calling duties, I mean like this is like this is the only thing left to do. Uh, and I do kind of want to break it down and talk about it a little bit. And what I would say about this is this is like one thing before we get into the nuts and bolts. Listen, one thing on this show that I never try to do. I never try to be X's and O's guy. You don't hear about me breaking down. I don't go on Twitter and clips of, you know, of this and I'm circling that. And like, that's not what I do. There are a lot of really good people that cover college football. There are a lot of really good coaches that could explain the nuance of X's and O's details and all of that stuff better than I can. And I'm not going to sit here and say, you need to change the, this scheme or run this or run this personnel or whatever. That's not what I'm going to do. But what I do know, what I can see, I got these two things right here. For people who aren't following on YouTube, who aren't listening on YouTube or listening to the podcast, I'm pointing to my eyes. I got these two things right here, and it is very clear that something is broken. And it's not just my eyes that say it, but the stats too. Like, I think we all know Texas A&M's offense is bad. I don't think people realize just how bad this thing actually is, okay? So coming out of the weekend, here are the stats. They rank 105th in total offense um, out of 131 teams. And I think that number is actually skewed because they put up a lot of yards late against, uh, against Mississippi state the other uh, on Saturday and early in the season against Sam Houston state and FCS team, they put up a lot of yards in that game as well. So you take out those two performances. This is literally one of the worst offenses in college football, 105th in the country in total yards, 101st in passing. Okay. So this blew me away. We talk about all these terrible passing offenses in college football. Uh, A&M's worse than just about all of them. They are worse than Wisconsin. Wisconsin is a better passing team right now than Texas A&M. They are worse than Florida. Remember, Anthony Richardson did not have a passing touchdown through the first three weeks of the season, and A&M is worse than them. Uh, A&M is worse than Notre Dame. Remember, we crushed Notre Dame for two, three weeks. This offense is terrible. A&M is worse than them in the passing game. And what really stands out, and I think any AM fan would say this to you, they just lack those explosive plays. Like those are the plays that win you games, right? I look at, we just talked about Oklahoma, Texas, say, uh, Texas, uh, TCU, excuse me. TCU had five touchdown plays of 30 or more yards just in that game. Texas AM for the entire season, I looked this up, I was blown away. They have seven plays of 30 yards or more. Three of them came against Sam Houston State, which means that in four games against Power Five or against uh, FBS competition, App State, Miami, Arkansas, and Mississippi State, they have four total plays of 30-plus yards. For comparison, TCU had five that went for touchdowns on Saturday. Ohio State is averaging six per game. Texas A&M is averaging one, and this from a $9 million a year head coach in Jimbo Fisher. 
And so you can't blame uh, whatever. You can't blame the quarterbacks. You can't blame, in my opinion, the skill position guys. Evan Stewart, their, their top wide receiver, was the number one wide receiver in high school football last year. Could have played anywhere. He chose A&M. Devin A. Chain is as good as any running back in college football. The poor guy has no holes because everybody is just stuffing the box because they know they can't beat you vertically. And so to me, it flat out falls on Jimbo Fisher. This offense, it just looks outdated and archaic. And I believe it just it just needs to be changed. And it's funny because over the last couple of days, I've seen a lot of this, uh, you know, Jimbo only won because of Jameis Winston. No, 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 no. Jimbo's offense at one point was actually probably pretty cutting edge and certainly very efficient. Keep in mind, it wasn't just Jameis Winston. E.J. Manuel was a first-round pick under uh, under Jimbo Fisher's watch. Uh, Christian Ponder was a first-round pick under Christian uh, under Jimbo Fisher's watch. So it's not as though, like, this offense always stunk and Jameis Winston saved him for two or three years. No, this offense was at one point really effective. But if you watch it now, it just feels so outdated, so boring, so slow. And you watch everybody else in college football, and it's like, man, they don't have nearly the talent that AM does. But you watch uh, TCU on Saturday, 60-whatever points. Ole Miss, USC. Now, those teams have probably you know somewhat comparable talent to Texas A&M. But don't blame it on the quarterbacks. Don't tell me that Jimbo can't find the right quarterback. This falls on the head coach. And that's why I think it's time to give it up. And I know what people say, oh, he's $9 million a year. He's stubborn. He's this, he's that. But I'll tell you, it wouldn't be the first time a successful head coach has given up play calling duties on his, his side of the ball. And I think at his age, you probably should. One, you've been doing it your way for 30 years. I get it. But things change, schemes change, people change, personnel change, style of play changes. And you again, you just look at AM, it just feels so outdated. And so when you look across the board in college football, yeah, maybe Lincoln Riley at 38-39 can still call plays and run his program. Maybe Ryan Day, about the same age, can do the same. But Jimbo Fisher is about to be 57 years old. And I just think the, the, the wear and tear of being a full-time head coach in the SEC, I don't think you can be the play caller, too. Think about everything Jimbo Fisher has to do. Media. He's got to do booster club appearances. He's got to be the face of recruiting, close on all you know 25 guys that you're recruiting. You know, other coaches have regions and, and parts of the country that they recruit in position groups. Jimbo's got to be the guy that closes on all. I just think it's too much. And when you look at the history of college football, there's a lot of really good coaches that have kind of hit this crossroads. I think it's easy to forget now. But Urban Meyer, late in his career, go back to those Ohio State years. The final few years, that offense got really, really, really stagnant. They started losing weird games. They struggled to move the ball. Poor JT Barrett. It was just, you know, read option this, read like, And eventually what happened? He had to give up the offense. He had to trust Ryan Day. And then it took off like, you know, like fireworks. It's been, it's been a, one of the most explosive offenses in college football since. Um, you know, you go back. Bob Stoops late in his career had to hand over the offense to Lincoln Riley. Jim Harbaugh had to hand over the offense to his assistant coaches because at some point you realized – you can't just run right at the opposing team. You need to add new elements to it. I would add Dabo Sweeney. You know what he is? He's the CEO head coach that I'm pushing for Jimbo Fisher to be. Dabo focuses on recruiting. He sells on focuses on selling the program. And he pays people very well, most notably Brent Vettables up until this year, to run each side of the football so that he doesn't have to be hands-on. He doesn't have to make every decision, and certainly every decision on game day. Coach O, by the way, 
was a CEO head coach. You can talk about the way that it ended, but when it clicked with Joe Brady as the play caller and Dave Aranda as the defensive coordinator, it clicked and they won a national championship. So don't tell me he's too stubborn. Don't tell me he's too highly paid. Don't tell me this offense is the reason that he's there. Because whatever it once was, whatever led him to success in 2002 at LSU and 2014 at Florida State and 2013 when he won a national championship, it's not working right now. You need new ideas. You need a new person. It's time for Jimbo Fisher to give up the play calling duties. Let somebody else do it. Be the head coach. Be accountable for all 85 guys. Coach the coaches. Because, again, something has to change at Texas A&M, at least for right now. Jimbo Fisher is nowhere near on his way out. And that's one thing, right? I, I see all these, you got to fire them. The boosters will pay the money. The boosters aren't paying $80 million this year. I don't know how bad it would have to get, and I don't know how quickly it would have to get that bad. But Jimbo Fisher isn't going anywhere for a while. But I do think this is a move you have to make because we live obviously in a, a, a now society. We live in a transfer portal era where players, you know, Evan Stewart, number one wide receiver in America last year, he doesn't have to sit around and deal with this for three years. He can transfer tomorrow. We can't transfer tomorrow. He can transfer after the season. Go to Texas, go to USC, go to Alabama. You think there aren't people, and I'm not accusing any of those three schools. You think there aren't people reaching out to Evan Stewart's parents and Evan Stewart himself and Evan Stewart's family saying, hey, you'd look a lot better in our uniform catching passes for us than you do at AM. So I'm just telling you, this is a move that Jimbo Fisher has to make. Frankly, I think it's the only move that he can make to save the Texas A&M football program. All right, that's so what I want to do. Take a quick break. Come back. We will hit on some of the odds and ends from across the rest of college football. Do want to talk that Kentucky Ole Miss game. Want to talk a little bit on Clemson. How about my Tigers? Uh, what else? Kansas? Well, yeah, we'll talk about Kansas. Uh, we'll take a quick break. We will be right back. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right, everybody. I am back. Good to be back. Good to be back. Final segment of the show. So good to be back. And I do want to wrap. Frankly, I just kind of want to hit on some quick odds and ends, just kind of rip through some stuff across college sport, college football, excuse me, from Saturday. Don't want to spend like 10 minutes talking about Georgia against Missouri or Kentucky against uh, Ole Miss. What I want to do, just, just hit probably two, three, four minutes on each of these topics, about five, six topics, and we will get out of here. The first one I did just mention, it was Georgia uh, playing at Missouri. And I'll tell you this. Um, if you had told me on Friday that I was going to even mention the Georgia-Missouri game on Monday's Aaron Torres pod, I would have told you, well, Georgia must have won like 84 to nothing, and we're now talking about them as the greatest team in the history of college football. Instead, it's the exact opposite. They play at Missouri in Como. Uh, they do win 26 to 22, but Georgia was down 22 to 12 with like 10 minutes left in this game. And it's wild because it was just, it wasn't even on my radar that I'd even consider discussing this game. But what I do think it speaks to is a couple of things. It speaks to this is why we love college football, right? You look at a slate, you know, you're going to be watching Bama, Arkansas. You know, you're going to be watching Kentucky, Ole Miss. You know, you're going to be watching some of these games. 
But Georgia-Missouri wasn't one we thought we'd be talking about. And then all of a sudden it comes down to the wire um, and Georgia almost loses this game. Now, in terms of the big picture, I will say I saw a couple people kind of reference like, oh, you know, is Georgia, maybe they're not as good as we thought. And, and maybe they're, they're, they're not invincible. I mean, look, nobody's invincible. But what this game really says to me is two things. Well, really three things. One, it's college football. Weird stuff happens. Credit to Georgia for getting the win. I'm not going to freak out. Two, I do think like, listen, I was one of the people leading the train two, three weeks ago of is Georgia better than a year ago? And I never said they were, but I said, I do think they, they, they've gained a killer instinct. I don't think they're afraid of anybody, but they did lose 15 NFL draft picks, five first round picks a year ago, even Alabama, even Georgia, even Ohio State. You can't replace that kind of talent. And I think we see like Georgia's really good. They're just not quite as good as last year. And finally, what I would say is, again, I think it's college football. And I think when you look at Georgia, I can see where this game would be a lull for them. I mean, think about the schedule, how it broke. Opener against Oregon, top 15 team. You want to prove to the world, oh, we haven't missed a beat since last year. We got a bunch of new guys and you don't know their names, but they're going to be awesome. So that happens. Then week three, you play at South Carolina. SEC opener. We want to come out and prove a point. Then you play Kent State. Then you play Missouri. And whatever marquee games you have on your schedule are still ahead of you. You got Auburn this weekend. You got Tennessee down the road. You got Kentucky down the road. Those are the games that I think Georgia's players are circle, have circled on the calendar. Now, they'll tell you every game means the same and we're not looking ahead. I'm just telling you, if you're a player, it's natural to look past Missouri and say, we have no chance to lose to that team. And in some ways, I give them credit for not losing the game. Yeah, they were 20-whatever point favorites but it's still an SEC team. They still have NFL players at Missouri. And so I don't make too much of it. I don't think they're like somehow stumbling. I still think they're in that top three with Ohio State, Bama, and Georgia. If I had a, a, a vote, I probably would still have Georgia probably either number one or number two. I think you can make a case for Ohio State. I think you can make a, make a case for Bama. I don't make too much of it. I don't really think there's that much else to say. Staying in the SEC really quick. You know, the Ole Miss-Kentucky game was interesting. Ole Miss does win 22-19. to A couple things stand out to me about this one. First of all, you know, I'm not going to spend a ton of time on this now, um, but we got to start talking about Lane Kiffin as one of the best coaches in college football. Ten wins last year in the regular season. That was the first time that ever happened for Ole Miss. And then now on a, a – he's now 5-0 and this year. 13-game home win streak for Ole Miss. I don't think people realize that. 13 straight home wins – um, and probably going to get to the 9-10-11 win mark if you include a bowl game this year. I don't think they're winning the SEC West. I don't think they're making the playoff. But what Lane Kiffin's doing incredible is incredible. And I think at some point we'll probably discuss that throughout the week. What I would also say, I don't think we can put past what happened with Kentucky as well. Uh, and I think this is one, we got a lot of Kentucky fans that obviously listen to this show. I would be frustrated. I understand your frustration. Um, and it's one you got to shake off because that was a game that they should have won. When I look at this game, listen, you can go back and look at a number of different things, but think about all these things that went against Kentucky in this game. And it's all stuff that you guys and girls have talked about over the last 48 hours, stuff that I'm sure guys like my friends, Matt, my, my buddy Matt Jones talked about on his radio show after the game. Everything that Kentucky did wrong, missed two extra points, missed a field goal, second to last possession, driving Will Levis fumbles. Now, admittedly, admittedly, it was a play that looked like targeting and probably should have been overturned and Kentucky should have gotten the ball back, independent of the fact that we're just glad that Will Levis, not Levis, because I used to call him Levis and I got yelled at all the time, that Will Levis is okay. 
So independent of the fact that it was it, it, that, that we're just worried about his health, there was a fumble that probably should have been overturned, and Ole Miss fans will say Levis dropped his head too. That was probably targeted. Then, on top of that, you get the ball back one more time. You make a huge play. You're in the red zone with a chance to take the lead and win. You have a penalty called, negates a go-ahead touchdown with like 20 seconds left, and then Levis has a fumble a player or two later. And so when I look at this game, I think we do have to give credit to Ole Miss, but I, I, I'll i be honest, I, I, I got to call a spade a spade. It does feel like Kentucky lost this game more than Ole Miss went out and won it. And that's not a criticism of Ole Miss. I think even Ole Miss fans would say that. What I would also say with Kentucky, I'll be really interested with what happens going forward because the, the O-line has been a problem. And, and if you saw me on social media, I was a little bit critical of Will Levis. I don't understand the number one, the QB1 hype the number one overall pick draft type. I think he's a really good college quarterback. I think he's fine. I don't see the face of a franchise number one pick in him, but I also can't really criticize him too much when his O-line is an absolute mess. Now with Kentucky, I think what's going to be interesting, now that you have Chris Rodriguez back, the star running back, he was out for the first four games. How does that impact the rest of the year? Because I think if you can get a little bit more balance, it takes pressure off the quarterback and it takes pressure off of the O-line. Finally, with Kentucky, what's going to be especially interesting, and by the way, Will Levis is going to have a chance to prove me wrong and tell me that I don't know what I'm talking about and that he is QB1. Have you seen those Kentucky receivers? That's the thing that stands out. And the guys that cover this team day in and day out have been saying it for months. Nick Roush at KSR, Justin Rowland, uh, who does a great job as well. Both of them do an excellent job covering the Kentucky beat. Um, but they've been saying for months, Dane Key's an NFL wide receiver. Barry on Brown had two mega plays on Saturday that set up uh, that set that put Kentucky in position to score. One of them they didn't. It was the final play. But I'll tell you, I am a little bit more optimistic about Kentucky coming out of this game. We knew the defense was solid. We knew they had playmakers on defense. Now I know for a fact they got playmakers on offense. I know they have an above average, a really good SEC quarterback. I don't know if he's QB one in the draft, but I do think he's a very good college quarterback. And then finally, you have your running back, uh, you know, in Chris Rodriguez. So I do feel pretty good about Kentucky. Um, but I, I also understand the frustration of a fan base today that's sitting there saying that was a game that was on the plate for us to win. We could not close it. Uh, and it's one I think that that it's going to be a frustrating deal because obviously now it puts you behind Tennessee, behind Georgia in those standings. Not saying Kentucky is better than Georgia, but you just never know. Now, again, it just puts you behind the eight ball. Really quick, a couple other news and notes. One, shout out Clemson. I told you last week, I, I really did say, I said, I really think this Clemson team is starting to figure it out. And everybody was freaking out last week. And what I said was, I think it's the opposite. I think Wake Forest is the best offense they're going to see all year. And I think they're going to pick things up and figure things out. And I think it's going to start this week against NC State. Well, as I say all the time, I get an awful lot of stuff wrong on this show. I am far from perfect, uh, but I pretty much nailed the Clemson-NC State game. Clemson wins 30-20, to 20, but what was more impressive was a couple things. The offense is starting to figure it out, and DJ Uyangalale, Uyangalale, I always get his name mixed up. You get the point, though. DJ Uyangalale, Uyangalale, 21 of 30, another game. He just looked really good. And the run game is starting to figure it out as well. And they're starting to figure out how to kind of run the ball with him, which I think is especially important. On top of that, I told you not to worry about the defense. Everyone was saying last week, oh, the defense isn't good. No, maybe Wake Forest's offense is just that awesome. Well, 
the Clemson defense held NC State, a top 10 team, to 34 yards rushing, 1.6 yards per carry. This Clemson team is really good. I think if I was handicapping who I like to make the playoff, they'd be at or near the top of the list. They do have to play Florida State in a few weeks. That game is at Florida State. That is going to be a big one. They do have to play at Notre Dame. But there's no team left on the schedule outside of Syracuse, of all teams, that is currently ranked. I actually do like them. Uh, Really quickly, the only other news and notes. One, quickly, I haven't done it yet. I got to give a shout-out to the Kansas freaking Jayhawks. How about those Jayhawks? Kansas. 5-0, they beat Iowa State, and congratulations to Kansas on two things. One, they are ranked in the top 25, and two, they are getting college game day on Saturday. And this is how crazy this college football season has been. We have Bama hosting Texas A&M, probably the most anticipated game of the season for obvious reasons coming in. We have Texas-Oklahoma. College game day is going to Lawrence, Kansas, and I give college game day credit. It would have been easy to just go to – Texas, Oklahoma. Instead, they are going to Lawrence, Kansas. I'm really excited about this team. We'll probably talk about Lance Leipold, their coach, uh, later this week, because I do think, I don't understand why Kansas has not just put a contract, a blank check on his desk and said, we want to sign you to a lifetime contract. Remember, this guy took over the program after spring practice last season. They have a couple wins last year, beat Texas at Texas. They are 5-0 and right now. Credit to them. Ohio State Rutgers, nothing really to talk about other than that there was a near brawl. I guess Rutgers sent their – they tried to block a punt. They were down by like 30 points, tried to block a punt. So so Ohio State's punter goes ahead and just runs it and picks up a first down. Everyone's saying Ohio State ran a fake punt. I don't think they ran a fake punt. I think the, the punter was instructed, hey, everybody's coming for you. If you can't get it off, run. So he ran. Well – Rutgers didn't like it. There was a cheap shot on the sideline, and Greg Schiano and uh, what's-his-face, Ryan Day, were about to come to blows. Now, remember, Greg Schiano was the final defensive coordinator under Urban Meyer, and Ryan Day fired Greg Schiano. Those two do not like each other, or at least Schiano does not like Ryan Day, and they almost came to blows. Just saying, I don't know if Greg Schiano's the guy I'd want to mess with uh, from Jersey, you know? I'm sure he has a whatever. I'm not even going to get that. I'm not even going to go down that road. But Ohio State wins, but there was a near brawl in the Rutgers-Ohio State game, so that was awesome. Finally, what I would just say, we did have another head coaching opening on Saturday. It is the Colorado job as Carl Durrell, of all people. You don't even know his name. He's the former UCLA coach. He was fired by Colorado. Colorado is really struggling. Colorado, I think, is probably the worst team in the FBS right now. And maybe on Monday's show, we'll, we'll kind of go over this job a little bit more. But a couple things stand out to me. One, they're really bad. They're 0-5. They got gutted in the transfer portal this last year. Their best cornerback went to Oregon. Their best running back went to Michigan State. Um, and so a couple things. One, I feel bad for Colorado fans for this reason. I think he had a really good coach in Mel Tucker. I think it was probably the right place for Mel Tucker. And you just could not afford to keep him. If you remember how that hiring went down, Mark D'Antonio retired in February of 2020, okay? Mel Tucker turns down the job to stay at Colorado. They come back and offer not only him an insane amount of money, but his assistant coaching pool was about to explode. Ton of money to pay for assistant coaches. 
And so I bring it up because he had no choice. He couldn't say no. The money was too good. He leaves for Michigan State. And I think that shows you Colorado's problems. Colorado also had the unenviable job of hiring a coach in February of 2020. Remember, COVID comes two, three weeks later. You can't recruit. You can't do this. You can't do that. But what I would say about the Colorado job, there are some of us. I don't remember Colorado winning a championship, but it did happen in my lifetime, late 80s, early 90s. And I bring it up because this program is not that anymore. I looked this up and I was stunned. In the last 15 years, Colorado has played in two bowl games. And one of them was the COVID year where basically if you wanted to play in a bowl game, they were going to find a spot. For so two, so basically one bowl appearance in the last 15 years that was earned with a better than six and six record. And this is a program and we'll talk about, it, I think maybe Monday's show. It's a real uphill battle for this program. Um, the transfer portal is a real thing. Um, and what I would say is I've talked to people around that program. I tweeted this out. I had one of their former stars from those championship teams, Chad Brown, who now hosts radio in Colorado. I had him on my, my, pod, uh, my radio show a few months back. And he, I asked him point blank. I said, how do we get the buffs back on track? And he said, I don't think it's going to happen. I don't think our boosters care enough about NIL. I don't think we can compete at the highest levels. And so this is a program. It's at an, a really interesting crossroads, right? They don't have a ton of money. They don't have a ton of financial support. Um, weird kind of Pac-12 fit. What's the future of the Pac-12? Are you going back to the Big 12? And then beyond that, and I think this is important, what kind of coach do you even get? I mean, they've tried everything over the last 15 years. They tried the hot mid-major coach. They tried the hot assistant coach in Mel Tucker. They tried the hot, uh, you know, whatever, the, the, the alum in John Embry. And nothing seems to work. And so what I think they should do, I don't have a list of names off the top of my head. And maybe we'll do it on Monday, like I said. But what I think you need to do, you need to go out and get a young coach on the cheap that can recruit his butt off and is fearless in the portal and fearless in high school. Because I think that's the only way. I think you got to overhaul this roster. I think you got to get good players from non-traditional places. I don't think you can go into California and recruit against USC and UCLA. Um, I don't think you can overpay for players, uh, elite high school players in NIL. And I think you got to figure out a way to get in good players with the anticipation that you're probably going to lose some as well um, because of the portal. So it's a fascinating job. I don't think it's what it once was, but really interesting gig. Colorado now joins Georgia Tech, Nebraska, and Arizona State as a job that is currently open. All right, I think that's it for this episode of the Aerodora Sports Podcast. It is time for me to get out of here. Before we do, I want to make sure a couple things. One, make sure you're subscribed. Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Music, wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure that you are subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Also make sure, rate and review the show. Go ahead, give us a quick five stars. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, all that good stuff. Make sure you're following on social media at Aaron underscore Torres. All of our Torres on accounts are hopping, are, are jumping. By the way, one team I didn't mention, how about UConn? First FBS win since 2019. Shout out to the Huskies who beat Fresno State. Follow Torres on UConn. Torres on UK, which is Kentucky. Torres on the Hogs, Arkansas. Torres on the Balls. Torres on Bama. On and on and on and on and on. That is all for today's show. I am going to get out of here. Uh, we got a loaded week ahead. Really fun week. October is here. Things are heating up. College hoops is going to be here before we know it. It is time for me to get out of here. Shout out to Torquing. Shout out to Rachel, who hates my voice. Shout out to JJ Reddick, UF head. 
I will be back on Monday, Tuesday, new episode of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.